Welcome to this month's episode of the Cordell and Cordell Men's Divorce Podcast, a combination of views, news, and tips relating to topics and situations relevant to guys going through divorce. In this edition, we will be focusing on issues pertaining to child support, including how it is typically calculated, why you should petition to modify support as soon as there is a change in circumstances, how new research has debunked the myth of the deadbeat dad, and more. To start us off, Cordell and Cordell divorce attorney Camille Piedrick of Albuquerque, New Mexico, will give a general description of how child support is calculated by family courts and how the length of the obligation varies across the country. Child support is an issue that comes up in a lot of the consultations that we have. Um, One of the very first things that people want to know is if they're going through a divorce, how much child support am I going to pay and for how long? Um, Child support is calculated normally by state and normally it is a specific calculation where the court will take different pieces of information and compute the amount based on a variety of different things. Some of the things that the courts will generally look at include Um, how much money each of the spouses earns, how much time the children spend with each of the respective parents. They'll also take into account things like healthcare expenses, daycare expenses, and in some circumstances, they'll also include what at least in New Mexico is called extraordinary expenses. Extraordinary expenses can include things like travel, long distance, if travel is required for visitation purposes. Can also include things like counseling expenses if the children are in counseling, or if they have ongoing extraordinary medical expenses that can also be computed for the purposes of child support. In regard to how long a person will pay child support, that does vary by state. In New Mexico, for instance, a person will pay child support for a child until they're the age of 18 or up to the age of 19 if they're not yet graduated from high school. Child support does take into account various factors and all of those factors are documentable. So for instance, what a person makes, how much they spend for medical insurance for a child, these are all documents that your attorney will want to have access to so that they can give you a good estimation of what they believe your child support obligation will look like. The other important thing to note with regard to child support is that if you are a person who is paying child support, it's important to make sure that you document that that child support has been paid. So generally using a check, using a money order, or using a transfer technique that can later on be printed and shown to a court is going to be very important. Next up, DadsDivorce.com editor Sean Garrison spoke with Emmy Award-winning Indiana journalist Kara Kenny about an in-depth series she reported on regarding the current state of Indiana's child support system. While initially looking into how police and prosecutors track down deadbeat parents, Kara discovered that many of these parents are well-intentioned and wish to support their children, but they are handcuffed by the system in place. Ms. Kinney, can you start by telling us about the story's progression? How did the story develop, and did you learn anything surprising about Indiana's child support system? Absolutely. The uh, initial stories that we did about child support were actually about deadbeat parents. We looked at how police and prosecutors tracked them down and tried to hold them accountable. So we did a series of stories on that. A lot of prosecutors are turning to, um, you know, special investigators to specifically go and track them down. But one thing we noticed is that as we did those stories, we really started to hear from a lot of people. And some of them were, um, you know, what I like to call well-intentioned parents who told us that, you know, even 
people that do not want to be deadbeats that it's really hard to um, follow the child support guidelines to um, make those payments every month and that even well-intentioned parents can get behind. So that sort of caught our attention, um, especially when we started to hear from people like veterans, people like that. So. Um, we looked at doing another series, and that's the report that uh, you're referring to that aired in uh, in February about child support, in which we talked about the guidelines and if they're really working or not. Absolutely. And you mentioned hearing from a lot of well-intentioned parents who were kind of caught up in Indiana's child support system. Uh, can you give us an idea of what the general feedback of the story was? I've probably received more emails, phone calls, in my 15 years of doing news about child support than any other topic. For whatever reason, those two words, child support, just really resonate with people. I think it's because, you know, half of marriages end in divorce, and then there's a, a large percentage of children in Indiana that are born to parents that were never even together. And so that all needs to be worked out in the court system. So I think, you know, even if you are, are not divorced, you might be married to somebody that. Uh, had previously been divorced and is going through a child support issue. So uh, in terms of categorizing or summarizing all the responses we heard, we heard from everybody about everything regarding child support. So any story you can possibly imagine, I think we heard it. <laughs> Absolutely. And when you talked to those well-intentioned parents, what were the most common complaints you heard about the child support system? Well, one of the things that we heard a lot is that it's just really easy to get behind. The whole goal of child support is to try to make the child whole as if the divorce never happens, which is, you know, fine theory, but trying to implement that into real life situations can be di difficult. For example, when two parents are living under one roof, they're sharing the mortgage and they're sharing the bills. But when they get divorced, each parent is paying for their own mortgage and is paying for their own bills. So we heard from parents that say that they don't feel like the current guidelines really take that into account. So that's one thing that we heard time and time again. We also heard that people feel like the system is biased against non-custodial parents, which is usually the dad. And so, um, as you saw in our report, we asked a judge about that and, and, you know, she admitted that usually it is the, the mom that gets custody. So it's usually the dad that's in the position of paying child support. So, um, those were the two main complaints is that just, they feel like the system, it's easy to get behind and doesn't really take into account for emergencies, which we all have. And then also just the fact that some people feel that the system's biased against dads. Well, the term deadbeat dads frequently makes its way into news reports in regards to fathers unable to pay their child support. It turns out this is often a very misleading label. DadsDivorce.com editor Sean Garrison spoke with University of North Carolina sociologist Jennifer Kane, who recently conducted a study that found many of these so-called deadbeats still provide a considerable amount of in-kind support to their children relative to their income. Kane's research determined that the deadbeat dad designation is oftentimes disingenuous to many of these low-income fathers. Uh, to start with, can you uh, tell us about these interviews that you conducted with, uh, with non-custodial dads and fathers? Um, who were the fathers that you talked to? What were their backgrounds? Um, and what kind of questions, I guess, did you sort of ask in, in, in these interviews? Sure. So we interviewed more than 300 non-custodial fathers. Uh, we focused on three U.S. cities, 
Austin, Texas, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Charleston, South Carolina. And all of the fathers in our study were low income, which we defined as having a monthly income from all sources that had to be less than the poverty line for a family of four in the year that they were interviewed. And by and large, the fathers in our study were uh, very poor. So on average, the monthly income in our sample was less than $1,000. Um, each interview lasted between 90 minutes and four hours. So these really resulted in kind of an extensive dialogue um, spanning numerous dimensions of the father's lives, including their childhood experiences, um, their romantic relationship history, um, employment history, their expenses and income, even their criminal background, and then going on to um, the current relationships that they had with their own children, with uh, the, ch uh, the mothers of their child or children, and then, of course, child support, which is what uh, this study is mainly about. And most fathers were interviewed at least two times. So really, uh, the data that we um, ended up with are extremely rich in terms of giving us kind of a comprehensive picture of what's really going on in these fathers' lives. Sure, and typically studies regarding child support have taken a look at the, uh, you know, the monetary contributions, whether they were made formally through the system uh, or informally directly to the mother. Uh, this study differed because it looked at uh, the contributions of non-cash goods or, or in-kind support, as, as you referred to it as. Um, can you give us a summary of, of the most significant findings from, from this study? Sure. Yep. So as you mentioned, we focused on non-cash goods, which are termed in-kind support. And so these include items such as diapers and formula, clothes and shoes, um, gifts, um, small food treats that the father might buy um, for the child, school expenses, um, child care tuition expenses and medical expenses. So that kind of gives you a sense of what we're talking about here. Um, and what we found is that fathers in our study, despite having these very little financial means, as I mentioned earlier, they were actually contributing um, quite a bit of in-kind support to their non-custodial children. So, for example, among children who received at least some in-kind support, each child received 60 months, uh, $60 per month on average in non-cash goods. Um, and some fathers in our study had more than one non-custodial child. So this um, statistic is actually per child, which is a, a considerable amount. Um, and by comparison, this was uh, greater uh, in value than cash support that was received um, by these same children through either formal support, which was $53 per month, and formal cash that was uh, provided via the court system, um, and compared to about $40 per month that the children were receiving, um, meaning that cash that was given directly from the father to the mother. Um, we found that the non-cash goods that were of highest value included clothes and shoes, which were about $19 per month on average, and then gifts, total, totaling an extra $13 per month on average. Um, so I say, you know, this, this in-kind support was non-trivial um, because the value of these non-cash contributions also constituted about 25% um, of the total amount of uh, child support that the fathers were providing, including formal, informal, and in-kind support. Um, somewhat surprisingly, we also found that fathers who were the most disadvantaged, meaning um, those who did not hold a steady job or who were bringing in low earnings, and then black fathers relative to white fa fathers, um, seemed to rely more heavily on in-kind support than cash support. And these, perhaps, we believe, are some of the fathers that might be the most likely to be labeled as deadbeat dads. So overall, our findings as a whole were somewhat surprising, given that non-custodial fathers are not credited for these non-cash goods by the court system. And as you know, fathers can be jailed for not fulfilling any obligations that they might have to provide cash support through the courts. 
Absolutely. Um, and further analysis um, into the, uh, the logic of the father's um, preference for find it, providing this kind of in-kind support revealed that their, their motive was more relational than, than financial, meaning uh, that by providing this in-kind support, it helps them to, uh, to, to sort of build a bond with their children. Can you elaborate on that line of thinking and, and why these dads preferred to, to give that support, even when you know, it kind of risks um, increasing their chances of going to jail for, for missed child support payments? Sure. And this, I think, perhaps was the most interesting aspect of our study. So what we found is that fathers were providing this in-kind support in order to maintain and secure a relationship with their child that could be sustained going into the future, even if the mother did not choose to facilitate ongoing involvement between the father and the child. And what we found is that these fathers were less concerned about necessarily paying their fair share of the expenses that the mother might incur for food or shelter or other household needs, and they were more concerned with the bond that their contributions could forge with their non-resident children. And given, you know, the, the precarious economic situations of the men uh, in our sample, like I mentioned, and, you know, other sources of instability in their lives, you know, including economic instability, employment instability, other relational instability, um, it was really um, surprising and compelling that their primary concern there was really to provide for their children in a way that was repairing and bolstering and kind of securing the future of their connection uh, to their child. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and can you also um, discuss sort of just what, why it's so critical to, to factor in all the different ways that, that fathers are able to contribute to their children's upbringing besides just a, just a dollar amount? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think from there, you know, our main perspective on that is, you know, one of the central goals of child support policy is to reduce child poverty and its adverse effects. And so it's only logical that up until now, um, the court system and then most research studying that system has focused on cash contributions. Um, but what our work is showing is that focusing on only these cash, cash contributions might be short-sighted. Um, and if, if fathers can successfully gain these improved relationships with their children through providing in-kind goods, then perhaps it is in the best interest of the child um, and the child's mother and perhaps even the state to credit these in-kind payments in some way, if that means that fathers will, engage, will remain engaged over the longer course. Um, and so kind of more broadly, our findings challenge this notion that the child support system should not um, count in non-cash uh, sources of support. Um, and even further, you know, continuing to ignore these contributions might be a lost opportunity to facilitate uh, you know, vital father-child bonds going into the future. Once a child support order has been established, you are obligated to continue making the set payments until your child is emancipated. However, circumstances can obviously change. Cordell & Cordell divorce attorney Rebecca DeVinson of Fairfax, Virginia explains why it is necessary to file a motion to modify your support amount as soon as there is a material change in circumstances that affects your ability to meet the current support payments. In most states, child support can be modified if there's been a material change of circumstances. This can be a positive change, such as an increase in income or custody time, or a negative change, such as a decrease in income or ability to pay support. If you experience a change of circumstances that impacts your ability to pay your current support order, it's extremely important that you file a motion to modify your child support as soon as that change occurs for two reasons. 
First, your child support order is going to remain in effect until further order of a court. If you don't file a motion to modify child support, the order cannot be modified. If you try to change the payments on your own or you're not paying in accordance with the current order, then you could be found in contempt of the order and in, you're essentially in violation of your support order. The second reason why it's really important to file a motion to modify child support as soon as you have a change of circumstances is that in most states, your support order, the modified support order is going to be retroactive back to the date that you filed your motion to modify child support. This means you could potentially receive a credit for any support that you've overpaid while your motion was pending. For example, if you filed your motion on October 1st, but your hearing didn't take place until December 1st and your support order was decreased, then you could receive a credit for what you paid in October and November. father gets behind on his child support payments, the ensuing fees and arrearages can make it very difficult to catch back up. Dadsdivorce.com editor Sean Garrison recently spoke with award-winning journalist Kimberly Seals Allers about her decision to forgive her ex-husband of more than $38,000 in child support arrears, as well as her understanding of the differences between fathers who are unable to pay versus fathers who are unwilling to pay their child support obligation. Uh, to start with, can you tell us about this decision uh, to forgive that money and why you felt it was the best decision for your family? Well, I really felt that when it came to my family, you know, it was something that was standing in the way of my um, daughter's relationship with her father. Basically, I was inspired because she was graduating from middle school and he, um, she really wanted her dad to be there. But because he's moved back to London, um, which is where he's from since our divorce, coming over was a concern, obviously, with child support enforcement and fear of arrest warrants and things like that. And I just that was really a tipping point um, for me to say, I don't really want this to be a thing that gets in the way um, of um, you know my children, their relation with their father. So, you know, I had been thinking about this and really being concerned about receiving mail at the house and letters from family court and just you know, it just wasn't a good vibe with that one about my children. Um, and I've always tried to look at child support and, you know, in a more total way. It's not just about the money, but also about the other things that I see that my, that, you know, my ex-husband brings to the children. And so I wanted to really value that and say, this really is about more than money. And let's come up with a new way to value that parental support. Sure. And you mentioned uh, the judge was kind of surprised uh, when, when, when this was brought up and you even got some backlash from, uh, from your friends. Can you describe the reactions you received and I guess how you kind of responded to that? Yeah, and I think, you know, sitting there in family court and having been through a divorce, obviously, you know the, you know, the kind of battling nature that people are just there to fight. And, you know, I was just sitting there thinking, I don't even like this energy, you know? So certainly I'm sure the judge sees lots of things before me, um, of people coming in to fight and not wanting to just, you know, ultimately surrender and say, I want peace and I want, you know, really access for my children and peace for my family. So he was a little bit taken aback and he wanted to make sure I was aware of my options and what I was doing and that I had received legal counsel. Um, certainly, you know, in the, uh, you know, 
single moms club, my girlfriends were a little bit shocked um, because there is an attachment, an emotional attachment to child support as the thing that we get and the thing that has meaning. Um, but I was really looking for something else to kind of attach my meaning to. So, so it was certainly interesting, you know, even amongst relatives and family members since writing the piece, you know, the response has been very interesting. In, uh, and, and in your opinion, how important is it to you know, take into account all the, uh, the, the, the value that dads can bring to the table outside of, uh, outside of just a dollar amount? Right. I think that was really the point that I was making, is, and, and that is that our system is broken, you know, that we've reduced, uh, particularly with non-custodial fathers, obviously, you know, support to financial. And, you know, no one wants to be reduced to a dollar amount. You know, we don't want mothers to be mother mothering to be reduced to a dollar amount. But yet we've done this with fathers. And I think it's dangerous, you know, and I think that we have to start thinking about other ways. The other distinction that was very important to me was that, you know, um, I think that there is a difference between the unwilling and the unable to pay. And that's a really important distinction because, you know, my ex-husband had moved here to this country and then he moved back. And so a lot of his arrears were really caught up in, you know, the transitions of, you know, trying to reestablish your career moving to another country. So I was understanding of that, um, but I never viewed him as unwilling to pay, but that he was simply unable. And I think that we need to figure out a way that when fathers, you know, are, are willing but unable to pay for whatever circumstances, that we can create other value systems that allow them to not be penalized, but to can allow the children to continue having that father in their life, which is so important. Sure. And to uh, kind of expound on that, you wrote at length about that uh, distinction between an unwillingness to pay and being unable to pay. Um, can you elaborate, I guess, on, I guess, the dangers of failing to make that distinction, which we see a lot in family courts? Yeah, it is really dangerous. I mean, obviously, to be clear, if you are if you are unwilling to pay, I believe that, you know, you should be hunted down because that is really important and everyone should should have that willingness. Um, but, you know, we know that the system is broken. We know that particularly among, even among low-income men, this could be particularly um, damaging to them. Like I said, in the case of my ex-husband, you know, kind of that international transfer, reestablishing a career and a, and a, and a work um, environment in a new country. So there's so many variables that now need to come into play and it's very dangerous when we put all fathers in the same pot and say that if you don't do this one thing, this one thing that you're going to be penalized and possibly put into prison when, you know, um, I was, you know, thinking that in other ways we value time. You know, if we get a job, we don't look at just our compensation in terms of our salary only. We might look at benefits or flexible time off and, you know, other things that we would consider part of compensation. And so we certainly have a way of looking at other things outside of money in other areas of our life. But when it comes to fatherhood, we put everything on money. And I think that we need to, you know, look at something else because it can be very dangerous and and overly punitive to certain populations. Absolutely. And is there anything else you'd like to add, Kimberly? No, I mean, I think I appreciate you having me on, and I really am grateful. Um, you know, I've taken a lot of heat for the things I've said. I've got a little bit of um, backlash on social media sometimes, but mostly I'm really grateful that we could have a conversation about really thinking about what's truly best for children and having an open dialogue about things that we can do to better, you know, look at the value of fathers in our children's lives.
That's all the time we have for this month's Cordell and Cordell Men's Divorce Podcast. Hopefully this gives you more insight into how the child support system typically operates and a better understanding of how every father who struggles to make their child support payments is not simply a deadbeat dad with no desire to support their children. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for interviews, news, tips, and more covering a range of topics facing men during divorce. You can also find a number of resources on our website at cornellcordell.com as well as our informational sites, mensdivorce.com and dadsdivorce.com.